show me your friends, and I'll show you what you'll be in the future. Show me your friends, and I'll describe your future. Right? And that kind of explains to us, it resonates with us, because we realize that friendships are a big part of who we are. It's important. It's important to our life here. It's important to our communal life. It's just important in our well-being. Motivational speaker Jim Rohn once said, we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Think about that. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Friendship is important. The people who are closest to us define who we are. They shape who we are. They become, the friends are the source of some of our greatest joys and pains. They're very key to who we are as people. So then let me ask you, how do you define a friend? How would you describe a friend? Social media, and you, you know I have to go there, you know. Uh, most of you are thinking, oh man, he's going to hit that. He's going to bash social media for a second. And give me, the, give me, the, give me some leave I'm going to do that. Social media, in a way, has redefined what the word friend is, or even our usage of the word friend. Sometimes I find myself doing that, right? I'll have conversations with people and I'll say, oh yeah, I know that guy. He's, he's a good friend of mine. Um, we haven't met. I follow him. I know a lot about his life. But yeah, he's a, he's a friend of mine. And so often it's gotten so bad with me that I often have conversations with Jen and she'll stop me and she'll ask, all right, hold on. Is he a friend friend or a I know him from Facebook kind of friend? And so often we see, we, we make friends digitally in so many different ways that we're tricked into thinking what a friend really is. So here, before we begin, I want us to do a quick exercise. All right, everyone pull out that connect card that you got when you walked in. If you have a pen, go ahead and pull that out. If you don't, there should be one in a pocket somewhere in front of you. All right, we're going to take the next 30 seconds. I'm going to count down here. 30 seconds. On that card, write down keywords. What describes a friend? Or what would a friend be to you? There's something on that list I bet a lot of us have not put on. And that's what I want to talk about. I'm not going to tell you what that is just yet. But there is one quality that we're going to kind of park and we're going to camp here for a little bit and talk about because that's where the Proverbs are leading us today. We're going to take a look at the advice a father gives to his son, where we're talking about this, this thing that we need in a friend. This is something we all need, but we often don't seek out. And if we, have any, if we do not have friends who do this for us, sometimes it's to our own detriment. It can be bad for us. It can be very costly. And as we begin this discussion on friendships, I have to put a caveat first. And here's the first one, is that, first of all, we're created to be in relationship. That's who we are. God designed us in a way where we're, we're created to be around other people. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and as he went through the whole creative process, you see God creating man. 
And the very reason he created man was to be in relationship with him. But then as we go on, there is something about the relationship man has with God, but then he says to himself, it's not good for man to be alone. And so what does he do? He creates Eve. And now there is a relationship that goes vertically between man and God, but there's also the relationship that goes horizontally between man and woman, or man and man, or however you put it, that community, the community that God has designed us to be in. There are friendships that God is calling us to be in. We're designed for that. And so often what happens is sometimes we don't really put a lot of thought into it. And especially as we get older, when we were kids, a lot of us, we had a ton of friends around us. We were, it was easy to become friends, right? But as we grow older, what happens? We it becomes hard. It be we, we become recluse. We kind of shy away from meeting new people. We shy away. We become very comfortable in who we are and have no need for friends or have no need for community. And so often, Sometimes, especially for those of us who are introverts, myself included, that's how I am. And so it takes a lot of work. It takes intentionality for us to seek community. Scott Sauls, in his book, Befriend, it's a great book. I can't recommend it enough. If you have, an option, if you have a moment to read it, definitely go pick it up. He talks about different kinds of friendships that we enter into. And one of them we already, we already talked about is the digital friendships. We are so good at that. We, we're, it's easy, right? All you do is add a friend or click follow, or you just watch people as they live their lives. And not necessarily their lives' lives, their curated lives, right? There, this is my latte I had for lunch, but not all the craziness that led to the latte, right? This is my baby doing, doing the cutest thing, ignoring all the chaos around the baby, right? We, we follow curated lives. It tricks us into thinking that we have friends, when in reality, there is a void there. Or we may have what he calls transactional friendships, right? And especially for those of us in the, in, in the secular world, in the work world, this is very important to us. And this, it's a good thing at times, transactional friendships where we depend on each other for a specific purpose. I make friends with somebody because I know that they have connections that I don't. Or I, I become, I, I'm mentored by someone so that they can help me understand things that I may not comprehend just yet. They may help me get on the right career path. These are transactional friendships. And then we have more of the one-dimensional friendships, which a lot of us have. One-dimensional friendships are those friendships that we have with other people because of the thing that we like, we do, the way we think. For example, it's built around a hobby. It's built around rooting for the Patriots. It's built around your hatred for the Falcons. <laughs> right? There's a whole community there. It's built around something. It's built around your love for the opera, or it's built around your political stance. It's built around sometimes your level of income, or the lifestyle that you live, the travel that you do. And so we have a lot of friends who come alongside, of, uh, alongside us because we do the same things. Now, all of these friendships are great. 
The digital ones are great. It, it leads us to greater con connections. The transactional ones are great. The one-dimensional ones are great. But the problem is, when we stay there, and if we're honest, if, we're, if you look at our lives today, a lot of us camp out in those areas. We don't move past, or we don't put the effort into moving past what those are into real, true friendships. We don't venture out because it's hard, and it requires something of us. It requires a sacrifice. It requires time. It requires resources. I began by saying who we are, who we're around, shapes who we are. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. And this is the beginning of the, the string of advice that this father is giving. And he's saying, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. If you walk with the wise, you will become wise. You're the average of the five people that you hang around with. Right? And if that is, it, and this is what the fa father is telling his son, he's saying, be concerned about the people that you hang around with. How many moms here have said, I don't like that kid you're hanging out with? Yeah. Right? I, I remember that was my whole life. It was, it, it, even today, she's like, oh, no, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but as parents, we, there's, there's a moment where you look at your child and you say, be careful. Because you know what the effect of friendship has on a person. As you're hanging around people, you start thinking like them. You start talking like them. You start behaving like them. We take on the personality of the people that we're around. We adopt their patterns of behavior. They're just going to rub off on you. That's just how things go. They will change you over time. And it's not just true in friendships. It's true in business. In Jim Collins, he says, if you want to build a business, you need to have the right people around you. It's not just about what you know and how you do it. It's about the people that come around you. If you want to have a good relationship with the Lord, you need to have the right people around you. Wired Magazine did this one article a few years ago, and it was a great article. It, talked, it explored Alcoholics Anonymous. And they, they, they were asking this question, and they started off the article by saying, despite all we have learned over these past few decades about psychology and neurology and human behavior, contemporary medicine has yet to devise anything that addresses alcoholism. They have yet to devise anything that makes it better. All of these advances in science, and yet we're still dealing with this millennia-old problem. But there's this group here that is having some sort of success. There are groups like Teen Challenge and Celebrate Recovery that are having a, a, some measure of success. And so the question they were grappling it with is, when you have all of these scientific methods, why is it that the social one works? And they were able to focus down on this the power of a small group of like-minded friends who provide support, honesty, and accountability. They were able to see that the effect of just being around the right people had on addicts. 
Just being able to be honest, being able to confess, being able to share, and being able to take in correction, they were able to see that this had an effect. Honestly, sharing problems with a small group of supportive friends has shown to help people overcome their problems. Conversely, other research studies showed that if you were around other negative behaviors, you became or you adopted it yourself. This paper published found that it's, a person is 50% more likely to be a heavy drinker if a friend or a relative is a heavy drinker. And that's just the way we are. We're built to kind of adopt the, the lifestyle of the people that we're around. And the father is saying, be wise about the people that you're around. The wise, if you're surrounding yourself with the wise, you become that way. He's saying, be careful about the people you associate with. Guard who pours into your life. Don't let just anyone come in and start placing things or speaking things into your life. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Guard your soul. Why? Because negative influences corrupt our actions, our mindset, and the way we interact with each other. More importantly, it leads us away from the purpose that God has for us. It draws us away from the relationship that God has with us. It is important that we surround ourselves with the right people. It's important that we choose friends wisely because it has an effect on the way we think and the way we respond to situations around us. So as we begin this, as we began this talk, you made a list of qualities that you think are the, the ones that, that make a good friend. And so I want to come back to that one quality that I'm hoping is on your list, but most likely is not. And as I mentioned, if we, if we don't have that person who does that for us, it's often costly. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. 27, 5, and 6 says this. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Let me read that again. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And here's what it is. True friends... Tell us what we need to hear and not what we want to hear. True friends tell us what we need to hear and not what we want to hear. We all, have desi we all desire to have friends who cheer us on, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have people who come alongside you, see the strengths that you have, see the things that you're uh, aspiring for, to push you and, to, ch and to, uh, to cheer you on. This is in our nature. But there's a problem when that's all the people that we surround ourselves with. As a matter of fact, there's a term for it, the yes people, the yes men, the yes women that we surround ourselves with, whatever you do, there's, it's a great idea, go for it, do it. But when those are the only people we're around, there's an impact. It's not useful for us. Have you ever noticed the cheerleaders on it with any team? They're always cheering, they're getting the crowd all hyped up. Has no impact on the game. 
Whether they win or they lose, they're still cheering. It's useless. And sometimes in our own lives, when we surround ourselves with people like that, that's the effect. People are still cheering, yet we're not progressing. Now many of us go to a hospital when we're sick and expect the doctor to tell us about the great personality that we have. You're going in there for them to diagnose what's wrong with you, right? The doctor may compliment me for the positive steps I've taken. Yes, you took aspirin, great job. What you really need is a transplant, right? What we're looking for, the people that we're looking for to be surrounded with are the people not, who not only cheer us on, but the people who challenge us. And this is what he simply says. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. True friends will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. See, godly friends will make, tell you when you're making a serious mistake in your life, even if it stings a bit. They'll bring about what is hard for you to bear in love. We all have blind spots, and if we're honest with ourselves, we have many. True friends will highlight those for you. We love shows like American Idol or America's Got Talent for, for the reason that there are many talented people who come on these shows, and they do extremely well, and some, sometimes I'm just blown away by the things that people can do. But I don't know about you, one of my favorite things to watch on this show are the first few episodes. Now, if you know anything about the first few episodes, they highlight the people who are terrible. Those are the blooper reels. Those are the ones that come and make an absolute fool of themselves. My favorite, I don't know if you remember, back in 2004 when uh, um, uh, American Idol was just such a big hit at that point, a contestant named William Hung came on. By that laughter, you know who I'm talking about. William Hung was a student. He came, he's originally from Hong Kong. He had come here. He, had, he was at UC Berkeley. He was doing well. And when this show came on, he auditioned. And he came on and he sang a certain Ricky Martin song and was just awful. Awful. But confident. He was great. He went up there, not a care in the world, no matter what people said or responded. As a matter of fact, people were trying to stifle their own laughter, including the judges. His response from Simon Cowell was this, you can't dance, you can't sing, what do you want me to say? <laughs> have you ever wondered how people like William Hung have the confidence to go on a show like America's Got, or American Idol or America's Got Talent and be convinced that they're good. <laughs> be convinced that at some point they're going to proceed and go over to Hollywood. Or maybe even win the show. I'll tell you. It's that group of people in the audience that's cheering them on. Yes. No matter how bad they are, there's a group of people that says, you're great. Well, there's something to be said about cheering people on and helping people accomplish, maybe get, getting them started on that journey. But there's something about, listen, I love you, but this just isn't your thing. Maybe instead of singing, 
Let's get you an instrument like the triangle. <laughs> no, let's not be as rude. How about we find you something that you're more gifted in? And often we need people to come around us that tell us, that remind us of the things that we're called to and not the things that we want to be doing. The things that God has purposed in our life and not necessarily the things that make us, that excite us and bring us happiness. You see, a true friend is someone who has the ability to bring correction to an area that needs it. They're able to say things that are hard to hear but are good for you. See, when there isn't correction and affirmation only, that's not a friendship. That's not a real friendship. In the Proverbs, the father even goes further. And he says, these are not real friends. He describes them as enemies. If you've surrounded yourself with yes people, he says, you don't have friends around you. What you have are enemies setting you up for failure. We love to be cheered on and to be told how great we are. We want people to follow us and like our pictures and prop us up. But if we only surround ourselves with cheerleaders, we're not going to grow. You see, we are not often challenged these days for a lot of reasons. Sometimes, because when people do challenge us, we take it personally. We push them back. Or sometimes when people come into our lives, they haven't built a relationship, but all they do is critique us. And so we immediately close those doors and say, I don't want to hear it. And so we just shut out challenge. True friends will tell you what you need because they're invited to do so. True friends will speak into your life when things are going wrong. And sometimes it is hard to think about correcting a friend. It's hard to think about going up to a person and saying, brother or sister, I think you need to rethink this part about your life. I think you need to stop on this path. I think you need to rethink this relationship. I think you need to take this step of correction. I think you need to pursue this instead of this. I think you need to give up this job and be there for your family. These are hard things to say. But you see, if you want to grow in your, in your relationships, those things have to be said. If you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, those things have to be said. But if, if you're going to walk away today with just one thing, this is what I hope you hear me saying. Give your friends the permission to speak into your life. Invite them to speak honestly, to correct you, and to rebuke you. Find a friend this week that you trust, that you already are in a, have a relationship with. Take them out to coffee and ask them this question. Are there areas in my life that you notice where sin has entered, where I'm foolish, or where I display ungodly character. Invite people to come in and do that and watch what happens. You see, now they not only have the permission, but an obligation as a friend. They have an obligation to look at you and say, this is what God has for you and you're not doing it. They have an obligation to come around you and build you up. 
A few years ago when I was in college, well, many years ago when I was in college, a few friends of mine and I, we started this group. And uh, when, I was, this is, when I was in Bible college, we started this group and we called it The Circle. This is a group of uh, guys that I was really close with, about eight to ten guys. We started this group and we met every Friday during lunch. We would meet in a little group, in a little room, and our goal was simply this, just spend time with each other. Just hang out, just talk, just ask each other how life was going, and, and all of that. But there was only one condition. And to be in this group, the condition was simply this. No matter what, I have the right to ask you what's going on, and when I ask you, you have to be truthful about it. See, they had the right to ask me about anything I did, anything I watched, anything I thought about, any how I re- reacted. And most of the time, it was, it, it was great. I loved it. I loved being around men who, were just, who pursued God and who pursued each other so well. But for me, this was the one time of the week that I, I noticed that I started to hate. I started, I, I would make excuses because I didn't want to be a part of it because I knew that they would ask me those probing questions. They would ask me the tough questions. But after I left it, it was the most life-changing moments in my life. And I remember this one time as I'm coming to the close of my, my whole time at, at, at college. I was working two jobs. I was doing an internship. I had a full schedule and, and I just met Jen. So I was putting in about 90 hours a week and I had no time. I'm running from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. And one time I remember, I'm, I'm running from one meeting I had with a professor. We're working on an internship. And then I had a meeting with my mentor. And so I had five minutes in between, running between buildings on campus. And I'm running up, and I, and I come across a friend of mine who was sitting in the lobby, and he had his, hands, his head buried in his hands. And I, I look over, and I say, I see Dave sitting there, and obviously something's wrong with him. And in me, everything's screaming out, saying, Dave needs a friend right now. And I go place my arm on on Dave's shoulder. It's like, hey, Dave, what's going on? Are you okay? And lifts his head up. You can see that he's he's been struggling. He's crying. He's just having a hard time. And I say, Dave, do you mind hanging out for a bit? Because I have a meeting I need to get to. And it's an important meeting. I'll see you in, in about 30 minutes. I leave, and I don't see Dave again. And this had been sitting with me for a little while, and I come to the, I come to the group the next Friday, and a friend of mine, he pulls me, or as we're talking, he looks at me square in the eye, and he says, Brother, you are sacrificing God's purpose on the altar of your busyness. You're sacrificing God's purpose for you, God's calling for you on the altar of your busyness. And to me, that angered me. I was upset. I was furious, saying, all of this that I'm doing, the two jobs that I'm working is to put myself through school. The internship that I'm doing is so that I can graduate. The classes that I'm taking is so that I can, I can finally get to doing ministry. And I look at it and say, wait, I'm doing God's work. He said, no. You've made yourself so busy, 
you've put yourself in such tight schedules that God no longer has place to move in. Now it's all about your schedule that God has to come into and not God's schedule that you have to move into. And I walked away from that meeting just in tears, broken, knowing that I had to make a choice, knowing that I had to make a change. And even till today, that's a principle I carry with me in, in family, in ministry, in, in a lot of this. The fact that I need margin because it's usually in the margins that God works. Do you have friends who will call you out on the things that you are not seeing? Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens the other. See, the word sharpen here is the same word used when one would sharpen a sword. You could, you could use a sponge. It's going to be great. You'll clean it well, but you're not going to sharpen it. To sharpen a sword, you need something else that is hard and abrasive. You need maybe another metal. You see, but the problem is when you rub metal at metal, guess what happens? Sparks fly. It is in those sparks, it is in those abrasive moments that the work is done. When two things that are abrasive rub against each other, eventually they become smooth. It's in the hard things. It's in our friendships. It's in our tensions, in our disagreements, in our conflicts that God works. And we have to be comfortable with being around conflict. So often, I've been around people who tell me that I, I, I have a great friend, but we're always fighting, and so I'm out. The question is, are you bailing on a friendship because of the hard times? Because it's usually in the hard times that God is working. You see, if we bailed every time life got real, we'd never go beyond the surface. We'd never go deeper with each other. We'd never build something that lasts. Pastor Gordon McDonald, he says, he writes this and he says, there's a certain niceness to a friendship where I can be, as they say, myself. But what I really need are relationships in which I will be encouraged to become better than myself. Myself needs to grow a little each day. I don't want to be the myself I was yesterday. I want to be the myself that is developing each day to be more of a Christ-like person. Do your friendships push you closer to Christ or are they comfortable leaving you where you are or are they pulling you away? Because they're doing one of these three things. If we only have people who cheer us on and no one who challenges us, we must ask if we're surrounded by friends or by enemies. Real friends not only agree, but disagree. Real friends not only applaud each other's strengths, but challenge each other's weaknesses. Real friends not only enjoy life together, but struggle through life together. Real friends not only praise one another, but apologize to and forgive one another. Real friends not only rally around their points of agreement, but love and learn from the points of disagreement. Real love, real friendship, it's vulnerable, it's risky, it's costly, discomforting, disquieting, 
See, this is the product of a rich friendship. So as we, as we come to a close here, take stock of your friends. Take a moment to think about the relationships you're in. Are the relationships you're in, are they healthy or are they unhealthy? Do your friends cause you to love God more or do they pull you away from him? Think of it this way. If you were to do something dumb today, would your friends talk you out of it? Or would they be comfortable leaving you there? Friendship is born in the moment when one person says to another, wait, you too? It's in moments of commonality that we start a relationship. You know, love for a certain thing, affinity towards doing a certain activity. But, what, but friendship is only friendship when you move past it and build something real. Christ came so that we could be in relationship with God. He became like us. He took on a mortal body, lived like us. He was tempted as we were, but never sinned. He took on our sin and went on to the cross. In John 15, 15, this is what he says to his disciples. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from, excuse me, from my father, I have made known to you. He moves from us just being creation, us just being servants, to us being friends, us being in relationship with him. But the, this is our reality, and I love the way that Tim Keller puts it. The gospel is this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Jesus cheers us on, offering us grace and mercy. You're more loved than you will ever know. Yet, he challenges us because we're sinners. You're more sinful than you can ever grasp. You see, if you're going to follow Jesus, cannot stay where you are. You need to grow. He cheers you on, yet he challenges you. And when both of these come together, there's a true relationship. There's a true friendship. And if he does that for us, then we're called to do the same for those around us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. In Hebrews, in Hebrews, chapter, in Hebrews chapter 10, Verse 24 and 25, this is what he says. And let us consider how to stir each other up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. You see, God is calling each of us here to the purpose of friendships. God is calling us to the purpose of encouraging each other. God is calling us to the purpose of calling each other out for challenging each other. And as we come to, this, to a close, I know that, especially when we talk about relationships, it's hard. As I mentioned before, friendships are the source of some of our greatest joy and pain. I'm aware of the fact that some of us sitting in this room have been burned so badly. 
We've opened ourselves up only to have that trust destroyed. But yet the reality is, we still need people to come around us. We still need people to challenge us. Yes, we need them to cheer us on, but we need them to challenge us. What we need are friends who will tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. So the question this morning, as we come to a close in this series, as you come to the crossroad of your relationships, where do you go? Do you stay with the easy? Do you stay with what's comfortable? Do you stay with what's, what's doable? Or you dive in deeper? You push harder? You open yourself up? Take on the risks? Allow Christ to do His work in and through you? You see, when God sanctifies us, when God works through us, He doesn't just do it in a vacuum. He does it in the context of people. He does it in our relationships. He uses people to build character in us, to develop Christ-likeness in us. And so this morning, as we come to a close, take a moment. Take a moment to seek the Lord. Take a moment to ask for wisdom. Wisdom being the ability to see the outcome even before you've made that choice. And to say, God, help me make the right choices when it comes to my relationships. To surround myself with the, with the wise. To get away from the foolishness. To be open, to be able to receive correction. And if we're not, ask for forgiveness. So as the, as the worship team leads us in, in, in the next song, take a moment to ask yourself these questions. Take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and highlight those areas that need to be dealt with. And pray for the friends who will come and help you on that journey. As we close, I'm going to pray. And our elders are going to come up. They're going to be on either side of this platform. Come up. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace that you showed towards us. The friendship that we enjoy with you. The relationship that we enjoy with you. Not because of our worth, but instead because of what you did. You died on that cross. Lord, we're such great sinners, but you, have, you offer even greater grace. And Lord, as we go into our, into our week, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the areas of friendship that we need to work on, to bring the right people around us so that we're surrounded by people who not only cheer us on, who not only tell us what we want to hear, but instead challenge us, instead provoke us to pursue you closer. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.